BBN Pinellas Park, W262CP Bayonet Point. Brought to you by Moss Nissan. Locations in Newport to this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. If all your sins are forgiven, then how can you ever lose your salvation? But the question is, have all of our sins been forgiven? Yes, all of them. See, some people believe that Christ forgives your sins just up to the time of your salvation. You know, everything you did in the past, it's taken care of. But after that, you're on your own. That's just not what the Bible teaches. I told you before, if you're on your own, you've lost it. If there's any sin that's not forgiven, then I'm doomed for hell and you are too. The famous psychiatrist Carl Menninger once said that if he could convince the patients in psychiatric hospitals that their sins were forgiven, 75% of them could walk right out the next day. The Bible repeatedly makes it clear that if I have accepted Christ's payment for my sins, they are and always will be forgiven. But knowing that fact is one thing. Living it out when I have sinned yet again, that's quite another. Guilt is wonderful when it leads to repentance, but... Satan also loves to use it to weigh us down and keep us out of fellowship with God and out of his service. This is Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class featuring the expository teaching of Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We've reached way back into the archives to pull out this gem of a message series on the security of the believer. Back in 1982, Pastor Steve was preaching through the Gospel of John when he came to chapter 10, in which Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Pastor Steve decided at the time to pause in his verse-by-verse preaching in John and deal more thoroughly with what Jesus said there in verses 27 through 29. Even though the tapes are old and scratchy, we think it is well worth the effort to clean them up and bring you this series of lessons called Safety for the Sheep. If you missed any earlier broadcasts and want to fill in the gaps, I'll tell you how to do that toward the end of this broadcast. But let's get started now. Open your Bible, if you can, to Romans chapter 8. Here's Pastor Steve. So I invite you to get your Bibles open and ready to scan its pages in order to see some of the concepts. We're just going to look at three today of how to defend the doctrine of eternal security. We're going to look at the first two rather quickly and then focus on the last one. First concept we're going to look at is the concept of no condemnation. No condemnation. The Bible teaches that the one who has been saved will never ever be punished for his sins. That's what Jesus said. They will never perish. Never, ever perish. They will never be condemned in any way. God will, in other words, God will never pass a guilty sentence upon us. Why? Because when the Lord Jesus Christ died upon the cross, he was condemned in our place. Condemnation has already taken place. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. Now you may feel condemned, and Satan may whisper in your heart that you are condemned, which he does to all of us, and you may feel guilty, but that's not coming from God. Condemnation is not coming from God. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't sin, 
It doesn't mean that God isn't reproving you and rebuking you and you need to confess that as sin. But as far as condemnation, you will never be condemned. It has already taken place. In our place, Christ was condemned. John 5, 24 says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, present position, has eternal life, present possession, and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. You will not come into judgment if you are a true, genuine believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've heard his word, you believe the Father, you've trusted Christ, you're saved, and you'll never be condemned. The Bible says this, that the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. The penalty for breaking God's law is death. Spiritual, eternal death. And at one point, all humanity stood guilty before a holy God. The judge was awaiting the execution, but before the execution took place, the execution would be the great white throne judgment, where hell and Hades are thrown, or Hades is thrown into the lake of fire. But before the execution took place, the gates of heaven swung open, and the Son of God was sent forth by the Father, and he came to this earth, the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to this earth. He was under no condemnation because he had never sinned. He was the sinless Lamb of God. But he gave himself on the cross to pay the death penalty for those of us, which is all of us who were condemned. And that's the gospel in a nutshell. We were condemned. The gates of heaven swung open. The sinless son of God was sent to earth in our place. He was condemned for us. He who knew no sin paid for our sins and became sin for us. Now there's a very important concept to that. The, 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 the demands of the law have been met. The law required that death would take place. And when Christ was dying on the cross, he wasn't just dying physically. There was a spiritual and eternal aspect to that death. That's why he said, my God, my God. Notice he didn't say my father. I think this is the only time he ever said my God. Because at that point, he was sin for us. He did not have that relationship as son to the father. He was separated from God. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, God would never forsake his own son. But when his son became sin for us and God cannot have fellowship with sin, God, so to speak, turned his back upon his son. He who had face-to-face -face fellowship with the son for all eternity, for that moment in time and in history, turned away and he forsook his own son. He was no longer face-to-face, -face, which is what the Bible means, that in the beginning he was with God. He turned away from his son, and in that moment, the Son of God died spiritually, separated from God, eternally separated from God. The debt was paid. That's why Jesus said, It is finished. The demands of the law have been met. God's holy demands have been met in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Strombeck, in his book, Shall Never Perish, says this. Everyone standing before God is a guilty sinner who will acknowledge this death of the Son of God as paying the penalty for his sins is immediately declared by God as having fully satisfied the demands of the law and is free from its penalty. Now listen, because Christ died on his behalf, he is then in the sight of the law as one dead. 
as one dead. He is dead to the law, and henceforth the law, as the only ministration of death, has nothing to do with him. The law can't touch you. Paul states this fact clearly and repeatedly. He says in Romans 7, 4, My brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. And again, but now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein ye were held. That's Romans 7, 6. And still again, Galatians 2, 19, Paul says, For though, for I through the law am dead to the law. The substitutionary death of Christ then means that he was put to death in the place of the sinner to satisfy God's law that demands that the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Thus, the death sentence has not only been imposed, the sinner who believes in Christ has in the person of Christ been executed and from henceforth he cannot be condemned by the law for he is dead in its sight. Thus, one who has been saved by being ransomed by the death of Christ cannot be lost. It's a little poem or a saying. He says, Payment God will not twice demand, once from my bleeding Savior's hand, and then again from me. You know, when Satan whispers in your heart, you're condemned, you ought to die, you ought to go to hell for your sins. You know how you ought to respond in your heart? The law can't touch me. I already died. God doesn't require death twice. Only once. The law comes to you and says you ought to die for your sins. You can't touch me. I'm dead already. I already died in Christ. You can't touch me. Death has already taken place. There is no demands that God's law has upon you in the sense of death. Those who accept Christ as their sin bearer are no longer condemned, whether you feel like it or not. You're no longer condemned. Christ has been condemned in your place. All of your sins have been paid for. Now, people who often believe that uh, you can lose your salvation have a problem with this expression. All your sins have been paid for, forgiven. Because if all your sins are forgiven, then how can you ever lose your salvation? But the question is, have all of our sins been forgiven? Yes. All of them. See, some people believe that Christ forgives your sins just up to the time of your salvation. You know, everything you did in the past, it's taken care of. But after that, you're on your own. That's just not what the Bible teaches. I told you before, if you're on your own, you've lost it. If there's any sin that's not forgiven, then I'm doomed for hell and you are too. You say, well, I, it's only the sins I can, I can confess. Listen, are you as naive to think that you have confessed every sin that you've ever done? You can only confess what you're aware of. I'm certain that, that uh, there are many sins with attitudes and, and uh, actions and words you've said that you've never confessed. Thank God it's all forgiven anyway. It's all forgiven anyway. You say, well, can you prove that in the Bible? Well, let me say this, just the concept. When Jesus Christ died, how many sins did he die for for you? Did he die for just the sins up to salvation? No. Christ died for all of your sins, past, present, future, because when he died, you hadn't committed any of them. When he died, it took care of all the Old Testament saints, all the sins of the past, and all the sins that would ever be committed, which is yours and mine. We hadn't done anything wrong yet. Christ died for all of them, and the Bible says that all of them are forgiven. Colossians 
2.13 says this, And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. I stress all because all means all. Every transgression that you've ever done. We've been studying Ephesians, and we studied this, Ephesians 1.7. Precious verse, truth from God's word. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. You say, well, has he forgiven all of them? Look, can he forgive all of them according to the riches of his grace? How rich is his grace? It's so rich that we can't even comprehend it. It's not out of the riches of his grace. It's according to it, as wealthy as his grace is, that's how much forgiveness you have. In other words, for any sin you've ever done, his grace will take care of it. His forgiveness will be sufficient. You need never feel condemned. You need never accept the devil's accusations, your flesh's accusations. You need never feel condemned. When you sin, you ought to experience shame for disobeying your Father in heaven, but not condemnation. And there's a difference. And there's a difference. God is no longer your judge. He's now your father. And there's a difference. So the first concept is the concept of condemnation, then the concept of justification. Now that's a long word, and oftentimes we really get confused what it, what it means, but uh, Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are justified by faith. What does justification mean? It means the moment you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you receive his righteousness. You receive positionally before God, you receive the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. We won't go through all the verses, but I'll, if you want to write them down, I'll just give you the references. Romans 3.21, 3.22 says that, that we have his righteousness. 1 Corinthians 1.30, to, to a people who are wicked, Paul says, in him you become righteous. He is righteousness unto you. Philippians 3, 8 and 9, Paul says, I don't want to establish my own righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ. But I think one of the most precious verses in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might, be, might become the righteousness of God in him. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. That is, that is just astounding. Now, we don't always practice our righteousness, we ought to, but we don't always do that. And that's not the issue. The issue is before God, you are as righteous as the Lord Jesus Christ. And the truth of the matter is, if you, being as righteous as Christ, could go to hell, then so could he. And that is simply absurd. Righteous people don't go to hell. If they did, then Christ is destined to go to hell. And, and you know how ridiculous that is. And you can't send this righteousness away. And you can sin, and it's wrong. But this isn't dependent on how you, how you behave. It's positional truth. So what is justification? Technically, theologically, it is the act by which God declares a sinner righteous. It is the act of God whereby, having made a sinner righteous, he then declares that that sinner is righteous. That's what justification means. It doesn't mean that just as if I had never sinned, People say that because it, it sort of goes together. It's an easy way to remember that. It doesn't mean that. That only is innocence. And I want you to see that. If you think the justification is just as if I had never sinned, that's only one aspect of it. That's just innocence. You have far more than innocence. You have righteousness. 
That's the flip side. You're not just innocent before God. It isn't that just, well, my record is clean. That isn't, the, that isn't justification. Your record is not just clean, but now God has imputed, he has given to you someone else's righteousness, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, and you can't get any more righteous than that. All right, what I want us to, to focus on, though, is another concept, how God deals with sin in a Christian's life. That's where we're really sometimes tormented. We sin, and uh, we wonder about that. How does God deal with, with my sin and with your sin? And every Christian sins, some more than others, some less than others, some a lot more than others, some so much that we begin to wonder if they really are saved or not. Now, even though we're no longer condemned, and even though we have become righteous in his sight, God still has to deal with our sins. And I want you to know that. People sometimes say, well, God overlooks my sin. No, he doesn't overlook your sin. No. He's still righteous, and God cannot overlook your sin, or else he would not be God. God doesn't just turn his back and say, well, that's taken care of. No, he has two ways of dealing with our sin. And I want you to know that, and that's important. How does he do with it? He's made two provisions. Two provisions by which he keeps a saved person from ever being lost because of any sin committed in that saved person's life. And I want you to, to realize this. First of all, I'd like you to turn to 1 John. And all of you should turn there. This is... A precious, precious verse and a precious truth that I'm going to deal with. In fact, when I, when I studied it this week, I just had to put down my Bible and, and just have a time of worshiping and praising the Lord. This is so magnificent, this truth. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Now, in chapter 1, he's, he has spoken about fellowship with him, and we confess our sins, and, and uh, we ought to know that we have sin and so forth, and, and it's all been taken care of. But then he says, chapter 2, verse, verse 1, My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. Now, that's the standard of God. That's the goal. God doesn't want us to sin, does he? It's not his desire that we sin. And if anyone sins, and we do, because all you have to do is go back to verse 8 of chapter 1. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So he's not saying, you know, if, if anyone, any one of you just happens to have sin. No, all of us sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, or the righteous one. And he himself is the propitiation now that's a 50-cent word, but it's propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. You may have read that verse over and over again. You may have only looked at that verse from a, a standpoint of the sovereignty of God, saying, see, he didn't just die for my sins, he died for the world's If you've, done, you've missed the point, you've missed the point. What is he saying? I can present it this way. The picture that John is presenting to us is a courtroom scene. It's a courtroom scene. That's what the language implies. God the Father is the judge. He's the judge, the ancient of days, the judge of the universe. And a sin that a Christian has committed has come before him and it must be dealt with. The holy, righteous judge must deal with that sin. There's no doubt about it. We've really sinned. If we say we have no sin, we've lied to ourselves, we've deceived ourselves. What's more, there's a prosecuting attorney who's pressing charges. Who is that? That's Satan. That's the devil. Revelation 12.10 says that Satan is before God night and day accusing the brethren. 
In other words, when a saved person sins, Satan files a charge immediately, and he points his, his finger at us, and he demands condemnation. He says, judge, that one has sinned, just like he did to, to Job. That one has sinned. What are you going to do about it? You're righteous. That is real sin. Now, I say he ought to be in hell because of that. What chance do we have? Can't deny that you've sinned. Can't deny that God is righteous. Can't deny that Satan accuses us. God can't just ignore it. And Satan knows that. And he is demanding punishment for us. What plea do we have? What possible plea do we have? Can we even rush into the, the courtroom of heaven and defend ourselves? You'd, you'd, uh, you'd lose anyway if you try to defend yourself. And you couldn't possibly. You can't rush into the, into the uh, court of heaven. We need someone to defend us. We need a defense attorney. We need an advocate. God has provided that advocate. He's Jesus Christ, the righteous. And that's the preciousness of this verse. We have someone who not just is anyone, but we have a righteous advocate, a righteous defense lawyer who never loses a case. Never loses a case. And that's Jesus Christ, the righteous advocate. The term advocate is the Greek word, which means someone who's, who's called alongside to help. It's, it's the same root from which we get the word uh, comforter. Someone who is called alongside to help us. But it means more than that. In ancient Greek literature, it was used for a legal assistant. Someone who would represent the defender in a court of law in order to plead his case. That, that's how it was used in ancient Greek writings. Jesus Christ is your defense lawyer, and he comes along your side to plead your case. He pleads it before the Father. He stands at your side in order to, to plead it. How could he possibly plead your case? You've sinned. I've sinned. He doesn't deny that we've sinned. He's righteous. He's not going to lie. He simply points to his death upon Calvary's cross and he simply reminds the Father that that sin has been paid for. That sin has been paid for. What, what does he plead? Words to this effect. Father, I'm the lamb without blemish and spot that paid for that sin. I'm the just one dying for the unjust. I was bruised for his iniquities or her iniquities. I bore his or her sins in my body upon that tree. I've redeemed him from the curse of the law. Uh, which he is now being accused because I was made a curse for him. Father, it's all been taken care of. He points to his own death and he defends our sin on the basis of himself. That's what verse 2 means. Propitiation is a long word. You know what it means? It means basically that the holy demands of the law have been met. The holy demands of the law have been met. There is no condemnation anymore, and Satan, he accuses us night and day, but to no avail. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, it really was finished. The debt was paid. God's righteous demands were satisfied. There is nothing else to do except to trust in that payment. Much will happen in our hearts and lives once we make that decision, but our status goes instantly from lost to redeemed, and nothing can unredeem us. You're listening to Verse by Verse, and our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We invite you to stop in and worship some Sunday if you're in or near Clearwater. 
The address is 1893 Sunset Point Road. Find out more at lakesidechapel.com or call 727-441-1714. At the start of our broadcast, I mentioned that this series of lessons called Safety for the Sheep is one that Pastor Steve preached many years ago. But we think it's a very important topic. So we fed the old cassette tapes to the computer, and it did some pretty amazing stuff to pull out most of the crackles and other stuff that had developed over the years. And if you missed any previous broadcasts, or you want to share these lessons with a friend, point your web browser to www.versebyverseradio.org. On the Message Archive tab, you'll find a list of every broadcast we have available. Uh, Simply search for the date that you want to hear, and then either listen online or download it for later. The website, again, is versebyverseradio.org. And if you have questions about today's lesson, you can send them to contact at versebyverseradio.org. For Pastor Steve Kreloff, this is your announcer, Jerry Peterson. Reader's Digest once told about a correction in the Tulsa, Oklahoma gusher. Isn't that a great name for an Oklahoma newspaper? I love that one. It said there was a typo in lawyer Ed Morrison's ad. His logo is, your case is no stronger than your attorney not stranger. That's a pretty good logo once you get the spelling right, isn't it? Your case is no stronger than your attorney. Well, as believers, we have the ultimate counselor representing us.